So tonight I'd like to continue my series on the spiritual paramis or the spiritual strengths, the qualities of heart and mind of a fully enlightened one, these qualities that we are developing here in our practice that give us the strength to uh, develop deep wisdom. So tonight I'd like to talk about the quality of patience. This quality of patience is not one that's exactly worshipped in Western culture and particularly in American culture. One time not too long ago, I saw an advertisement on TV where the tagline was, and this tagline was to get you to uh, work with this company. At SBC, impatience is a virtue. And I think it kind of reflects our cultural uh, perspective on impatience, that it's considered some kind, of an imper- uh, some kind of a virtue to be impatient. It's not just the mainstream. I saw a, a title of a yoga journal magazine. It said, how to get off the fast track without slowing down. <laughs> <laughs> So it seems to be a quality of, um, this quality of patience seems to be one that perhaps many of us can benefit from. I know that uh, I didn't come into this world as a patient person, and this is one of the paramis that I've worked with more than any other one. The Pali word for patience is kanti. It's often translated as forbearance or tolerance. I don't know if those are the best translations for us because they might bring up an idea of kind of gritting our teeth and waiting for something to end. But this is not the true flavor of patience. And this quality of patience actually has many different flavors. One flavor is the idea of constancy. The idea of being able to wait without displeasure or reaction. Patience can also manifest as the ability to hold unpleasant experience without needing to get rid of it. Calm endurance is another translation I've heard. I think true patience includes the flavor of acceptance of poise, of gracefulness. So again, it's not gritting our teeth and waiting for something to end or to begin, but to be with the whole process with steadiness and equanimity. In fact, I'd say if there's the idea of waiting at all in patience, then then we've missed the point. The great patience doesn't even include the idea or the sense of waiting. Great patience is actually manifested in deep relaxation and vast contentment. So let's look a little 
at places or ways this quality can manifest, and then we're also going to have to look at its opposite, at impatience. Because to really understand to really understand patience, most of us are going to have to also understand impatience. As I said, in our culture, we have a, a challenge with this quality of patience. We have a culture that has a love affair with uh, efficiency and speed. And I think that this, uh, this fixation with efficiency and speed is what causes a lot of the impatience that we may feel culturally as one of our cultural conditionings. When I was 22 years old, I went to live in Nicaragua to teach English after, my, after I had completed college. And this was a place where I actually started to learn about patience. In Nicaragua, I found that things didn't move at the speed that I was accustomed to. And I learned that if I didn't... Uh, relax into the speed that things were moving, that I was going to suffer a lot. That if I was going to be impatient, I was going to suffer a lot. And one of my best trainings in patience was in order to get an exit visa from the country. I was a, I was a resident. I was um, had a resident card, so I had to get an exit visa if I wanted to leave the country. And to get an exit visa took about 10 office visits. You had to go pick up a, a form and bring it back, and then you had to get a police form, get a police check, and bring that back, and then you had to get a tax form and get that check and bring that back, and then you had to buy a stamp, and then you had to do... Anyway, it was like 10 different lines in different offices all over the, um, the city. And each one would take... It would take an afternoon sometimes to, or to do a couple of these office visits, so maybe it would take about four afternoons to get an exit visa. And... Um, at first, I would find that I'd be impatient waiting in these lines. And, um, and then I thought, you know, I was going to learn how to work with this. I was, this was even before I meditated, but I was like, I'm going to learn how to work with this. So I started to really challenge myself to actually be where I was. If I was on the bus going to get the visa, to be on the bus. If I was in a line, to be there, to actually be there. And I started to notice the life that was happening around me in all of those places. And I started to enjoy waiting in line and enjoy taking the bus and understanding the relaxation and the connectedness that came through developing this quality of patience. So I started to learn about the freedom of patience. <laughs> to be patient in the United States is to go against the grain of our society, against the fast pace of our society. And whenever the Buddha suggested um, how to develop a certain quality, he would suggest that you hang out with other people who have that quality. And so it might be harder for us uh, because it's not the, the, the quality that we may see manifest a lot. So how do we develop patience? 
the truth of the matter is life is a lesson in patience. And that all the uh, so-called obstacles and minor irritations that we find in our life, even at a meditation center, can be a place where we can strengthen this quality of patience. And then that'll be good practice for bigger problems that may call for even more patience. For me, I found that one place uh, that's great to practice patience on retreat is uh, waiting for the interview. Actually, we're pretty much on time here, (laughs) so maybe that's not so hard. My teacher... um, for many years when I sat the three-month courses at IMS, my teacher, on a good day, she was 15 or 20 minutes late. That was a good day. Normal was half hour to 45 minutes. But you always had to be on time because you didn't know if just like for once she would be online on time. So having to wait out in the hall for my interview was, for me, always good patience practice. Perhaps for some of you, waiting in the lunch line can be patience practice. Or if we have a cold, that can be patience practice. Or if we notice frustration with our practice, that can be patience practice. What I've done sometimes when I've focused on this quality um, just in my daily life is I have 10-minute patience practice periods. So if I notice that I'm getting impatient in a certain situation, I'll say, okay, it's patience practice period, you know, like 10 minutes just to focus on patience. And just bringing the quality to mind uh, can really strengthen it. I've also found it really useful to bring out into consciousness the kinds of thoughts that are going through our mind when we find ourselves impatient. They're actually sometimes really amazing, amazingly irrational. And to bring them out in the open and to look at them, it can help us develop patience. One place that I've really um, practiced patience is um, driving. I like to drive fast. It's, I guess it's one of my vices. And I live on this country road. It's um, six and a half miles up from a town. And it's double yellow line the whole six and a half miles, which um, means that if you get behind somebody slow, <laughs> you're not going anywhere fast. And um, so I use that, that road when I get behind somebody slow as patience practice. And when I was first working with this, I could, these, the thoughts I would have that was behind the impatience was incredible. It was like, you're in my way. <laughs> you're holding me up. It's like, what? You know, what kind of thought is that? And... Uh, and I, and I would find myself flashing back to like childhood memories and stuff. It was like really deep conditioning. And then as I brought that to the surface and I could see it, I would say, oh, let's be in the present moment. I don't need to, I don't need to hurry here. 
So we can think of patience also as just not hurrying, not trying to get somewhere else other than here and now. And my best teacher of this was a number of years ago when I went to a precept ceremony that Thich Nhat Hanh was having. When he gives retreats, he'll often have a precept uh, ceremony the last day, and people from the outside can come in. So he was doing this in the Catskills, and it was a couple hours from my home, and it started at 6.30 in the morning. So I got up at 4 and hurried to uh, the precept ceremony. And so I got out of my car. I was just like, you know, it was 627 or something like that. So I got out of my car, and I'm rushing up towards the big tent so I won't be late for the ceremony. And just as I'm coming up to the tent, Thich Nhat Hanh's coming from the other end, the other side with his entourage, a number of people with him. And he was walking... I've never seen anything like it before or since. He was, he was completely in each step. There was, there was no sense of hurry at all. There was no sense of even being any leaning into the next step. And so I watched it. I stopped dead in my tracks. I was like, I watched him. I watched him walk this way of just complete patience in each step, and that was actually my greatest teaching of that day, and it stayed with me as an inspiration to be able to walk like that. So patience as that ability to rest completely in now, no leaning forward. I'd like to share a story about patience by somebody named Andre G-I-D-E. Not sure how you pronounce that. And apparently he was on some kind of expedition. He says, My party had been pushing ahead at a fast pace for a number of days. And one morning, when we were ready to set out, our native bearers, who carried the food and equipment, were found sitting about without any preparations made for starting the day. Upon being questioned, they said, quite simply, that they had been traveling so fast in these last days that they had gotten ahead of their souls and were going to stay quietly in camp for the day in order for their souls to catch up with them. So they came to a complete stop. Now, aside from the fact that it's heretical to talk about souls at a Buddhist retreat, um, perhaps that's a little bit what we do when we come on retreat. It's like we um, stop so something can catch up. I won't use the word soul. (laughs) But um, it's a way of like reconnecting with the fullness of ourselves when we can stop no part left out or behind. Sometimes when I travel 
far in this uh, modern world that we can go so far in such a short period of time. I have that same sense that it takes a few days for all of me to catch up to where I've gone to. So let's think for a moment about impatience. As I said, with wishing to develop this quality of patience, we'll also have to look at impatience. So what is impatience? It's actually a form of resistance to the present moment. It's a form of our old friends grasping and aversion. It's like patience gets hijacked by grasping our aversion and becomes impatience. So impatience, that sense that we want something, that we want to get something, that leaning towards, I mean impatience as that leaning towards, or impatience as that trying to keep away. A little insight into the basic nature of reality tells us that everything changes and that if we wait, things will change. And it also, a little insight into the nature of reality tells us that things don't always work the way we wish for them to work, that life doesn't run according to our desires. And patience is knowing this. Patience is flowing with this truth about life rather than trying to row against the current. The proximate cause of patience or the thing that, the, that helps the patience arise is seeing things as they are. So seeing the basic nature of change. The characteristic of patience is acceptance. So it's related to equanimity, not resisting life, accepting things as they are. For these reasons, I see patience as one of the deepest spiritual qualities because it's in accordance with the truth. It's lined up with the truth, the truth that life changes and the truth that life doesn't run on our desires and that everything happens in its own time.
Patience is also considered a protection and a refuge. One aspect of patience is waiting out our impulses to act unskillfully. So waiting out our impulses that may cause us to act in ways that would cause suffering. So patience can be described then as self-control or self-discipline and is very helpful in supporting sila or ethical conduct. So we wait out our impulses towards greed and anger and aversion rather than act them out. Pema Chodron calls this patience practice as learning to relax with the edginess of our energy. I can relate to that uh, description. Learning to relax with the edginess of our energy. And it's not so easy because we don't like being uncomfortable. We don't like that edginess. But patience is learning how to relax with that and not be controlled by it. Let's talk a little bit about patience in our meditation practice. Patience in meditation practice implies a certain kind of steadiness or constancy in our practice. The Buddha is said to have spent, as I mentioned, four incalculable eons and uh, four incalculable ages and 100,000 eons uh, perfecting the paramis. So that's a lot of patience. We can use that as a model when we feel like maybe our sittings didn't go the way we wanted them to go today. Having a wide um, patience includes a very wide view and uh, uh, a long-term view of practice. In the early years at IMS, it said that they received a letter addressed to the Instant Meditation Society. <laughs> it's not so realistic to think of instant meditation. <laughs> I do hope that person didn't come and get disappointed. Most of us know that this job of self-transformation takes time and lots and lots of patience. So patience in meditation practice is not just about having patience with difficulty, but about having patience with the whole process of self-transformation. Patience means that we're steady in practice through the blissful times and the painful times, the interesting times and the boring times the times of energy and the times of dullness.
times when we feel good about what's happening and times when our practice seems to have plateaued or even apparently backslided. There's a story um, from Charlotte Joko Beck in one of her books that talks about um, patience. She says, many years ago, I was a piano major at Oberlin Conservatory. I was a very good student, not outstanding, but very good. And I wanted very much to study with one teacher who was undoubtedly the best. He'd take ordinary students and turn them into fabulous pianists. Finally, I got a chance to to study with the teacher. When I went in for my lesson, I found that he taught with two pianos. He didn't even say hello. He just sat down at his piano and played five notes, and then he said, you do it. I was supposed to play it just the way he played it. Five notes. I played it, and he said, no. He played it again, and I played it again. Again, he said, no. Well, we had an hour of that, and each time he said, no. In the next three months, I played about three measures, perhaps half a minute of music. Now, I had thought I was pretty good. I'd played soloist with little symphony orchestras. Yet we did this for three months, and I cried most of those three months. He had all the marks of a real teacher, that tremendous drive and determination to make the students see. That's why he was so good. And at the end of three months, one day, he said, good. Can you imagine the patience that it took to keep going under that kind of a circumstance? No. No. It took tremendous determination and patience to keep practicing. That's the kind of determination and patience that we sometimes need in our own practice here. Impatience with ourselves and practice suggests a lack of appreciation of ourselves as we are now. A sense, perhaps, I'm not good enough, or I'm not complete enough, or I'm lacking or deficient. I need more or a different kind of experience. So in impatience in ourselves and our practice, there's a certain scarcity, a feeling of scarcity. The belief that there will be some perfection in the future that will fill that lack. Perhaps we can balance this this, uh, strive for perfection with a poem from Ryokan, the Japanese hermit poet. He says, Today's begging is finished at the crossroads. 
I wander by the side of the Buddha shrine talking with some children. Last year, a foolish monk. This year, no change. I love that poem for the deep, deep acceptance of himself just as he is. Last year, a foolish monk. This year, no change, exclamation point. There's a great deal of wisdom in that short poem and in that attitude of acceptance. Suzuki Roshi says something similar in a talk that he gave to um, his students. He said, you're perfect just as you are, and you have some work to do. I really love this quote because there's that balance. You're perfect just as you are. We can relax. We're not fundamentally flawed. And yet we do have some work to do. That's why we're here. Patience means relaxing in the truth, into the truth as it is now, knowing it's enough. Even as we hold the wider vision that we do have work to do. So any sense of frustration in our practice with how our practice is going can be a sign that we need to develop patience, that we need to strengthen this parami of patience. We can try shifting into a more receptive mode if we sense this impatience or frustration with our practice. Shift into a more receptive mode, one that reflects more this quality of patience. Then we can see that being truly patient, we aren't trying to get anywhere else but right now, right here. And we shift our focus from some magical future where we're going to solve all of our problems to embracing the journey itself. We see practice as a way of living rather than a means to an end. We replace a self-improvement model with one of self-awareness and acceptance and embracing the perfection of each moment. This takes a radical trust in our process and a radical trust in the practice. to rest in this moment, knowing that it's just enough, just as it is. So patience is this 
resting in the moment as it is, as the great perfection, resting in total comfort and contentment in the moment as it is. Another manifestation of impatience that we might notice in our practice is this sense of um, looking for the next sense hit, looking for the next exciting thing in practice to happen. How do we feel if practice is not exciting? What if it's boring? Trungpa Rinpoche said, Practice is boring, boring, boring. Are we willing to sit and be bored on our way to freedom? Boredom's great. It's ripe with, with possibilities. And I don't mean boredom so much um, as a, um, a moving away from experience, but boredom as in nothing exciting has to happen. I heard that on um, British television, there's a channel called Watching Paint Dry. And what they do is one time a day, they, um, once every 24 hours, they paint a wall a different color, and then you can watch it dry. <laughs> and uh, I reflected on this, that sometimes practice might be a little bit like watching paint dry. It might not seem like too much exciting is going on, can we be okay with that? In some ways, it's good to get a little bored in practice, to get bored of the same stories that we tell ourselves over and over in our minds. The uh, singer Leonard Cohen, that most of you have probably heard of, um, he practiced for many years in a Zen monastery, and this is what he said he learned. He discovered what he was looking for. He said, what happens in meditations that last 10, 15 hours is that you run through your top 10 erotic fantasies, ambition fantasies, revenge fantasies, global ratification fantasies. You run through them all until you bore yourself to death, basically. And the faculty that produces opinions and snap judgments and unrealistic scenarios for your own prominence, after you run through them for a number of years, they cease to have charge. They bore themselves into non-existence. You see them as diversions from another kind of intimacy that you become more interested in. And that is what Socrates said, know thyself. So sometimes we may have the same stories going through our mind over and over again, our favorite kind of fantasies, our favorite um, aversive stories. But over time, as we bring mindfulness to them and um, awareness to them, we find that uh, they start to bore 
themselves into non-existence. They start to lose their charge, basically, is what he's saying. But sometimes this can take a long time. He said years. So aspect of patience in our practice is patience with our deeply conditioned patterns of mind. We often have very unrealistic expectations about how quickly we should be able to change some of our deep conditioning. Perhaps we think that in a couple of weeks, at at least we should be able to figure out how to work with fear. Some of you have been practicing a while longer. You've probably figured this out by now. It doesn't come so quickly. I know that fear has been one of my main teachers, and I would say that it took a good decade before I felt like I had some kind of a basic grip on how to work with it. And that doesn't mean that in, you know, it took me 10 years to bring mindfulness to fear and, and know how to uh, work with it, but to stabilize it all, kind of that, that ability took many years. And I, I don't mean to be depressing. I hope I'm not coming off as depressing. I just think that it's good to be realistic so that we don't get discouraged. You know, so that we pack a lunch to bring along on, <laughs> on retreat. And of course, there's possibilities for freedom with our deeply conditioned patterns. There's possibilities for freedom in any moment. You know, any moment we can feel the release from the grip of craving or aversion. But to stabilize these changes often takes a long time. So we need great patience. The Buddha described patience as the highest austerity and the highest devotion. I was thinking about what what did he mean? The highest austerity and the highest devotion. So I think of austerity, perhaps what he meant is that um, when, we're, when we're practicing patience, we're not fluffing things up. We aren't counting on it escape. It's bare bones practice. It's um, that commitment to settle in for the long haul. And then when he said the highest devotion, Patience is the highest devotion. For me, that implies that sense that I mentioned of trust and faith in the practice and in the teachings. When we're being patient, we're saying that we trust this process. We trust our practice. We trust that um, things will unfold as they need to unfold. And that takes a lot of faith, a lot of devotion.
this trusting aspect of patience manifests as humility, not assuming that our plan for the universe is how it's supposed to be. When I look back over the 25 years that I've been practicing, there have been so many times when I thought that the whole process really could just go a little faster. And then when I look back, though, I see that it all happens perfectly. The Dharma knows better than I do. Trying to hurry our practice is like picking an apple before it's ripe. The taste isn't so sweet. So we let our practice ripen in its own time, gather that sweetness. And we create the conditions that are conducive to awakening, and then we trust. So ultimately, we see patience as relaxing into what is. the freedom of not leaning into another moment so we can be fully in this one, the freedom from expectation and needing life to be any different than it is. So the great patience, the great patience where there isn't a sense of waiting, There's just the sense of trust in this moment and completeness in this moment and the vast contentment that comes when we can rest in such a way. I'd like to end with a story called Making Firewood about patience. from a book called 108 Cents Stories, by, edited by Sean Murphy. In the 60s and 70s, the Chan monk Dei Chun lived in rural Tennessee, where he attracted a small but devout group of students associated with a nearby university. When Dei Chun first came to Tennessee, there was a huge dead oak tree in the yard beside his cabin. One of his neighbors happened by and said, you'd better cut that thing down or one of these days it's going to fall on your roof. Oh, thank you, said Dei Chun. The next time he went into town, he bought a hatchet at a thrift store. He promptly set to work on the tree's enormous trunk, chopping away for some time every morning and showing no signs of discouragement at his minimal progress. Neighbors, seeing him work day after day, showed up with chainsaws, offering to cut it down for him. Thank you, no, said Dei Chun. I do it my way. This went on for months with such regularity that if his neighbors didn't hear the ch steady chop, chop, chop of Dei Chun on his tree on any given morning, they'd come over to make sure he was all right 
It was a phenomenon, a cause for conversation. And before too long, this strange old Chinese fellow had become a member of the neighborhood. On the day the tree finally fell with a crash that shook all the houses on his street, one of Daechun's friends asked him, so what will you do now? Make firewood, answered Daechun. He later said that this was the way he taught his students meditation. You just chop away a little bit every day, and one day an enormous tree falls. Let's sit for a minute. He later said this was the way he taught his students meditation. You just chop away a little bit every day, and one day an enormous tree falls. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.